um, for uh, this morning. I'm going to be continuing on um, with uh, grace theme, grace and community this morning. It was um, kind of a, well, I'm not saying a surprise, uh, but pastor had asked me to fill in for him. He realized um, that he was going to be gone this week for the state youth convention. And so I said, sure, I can fill in for you. Um, we, uh, I got part of his text on, on what he wanted me to cover while I was up at deer camp. Um, I didn't get it for a couple of days because service up there is really spotty, which is very nice. <laughs> we don't have to worry about being uh, bombarded by emails or texts or calls. Um, but uh, um, we've been back now for uh, about a week. Got back late last Sunday night. Um, I always love going up, getting in the woods and away from all the, the rush and hustle, hustle and busyness of everyday life and just being able to sit down and relax. So me and my dad always take time to catch up, talk about what's going on in our lives, what's going on in our lives. And um, I usually ask him for advice and <laughs> guidance and things now and actually listen. <laughs> Uh, because now that uh, I, I've gotten older, I've realized, hey, my dad knows a few things. <laughs> so it's always nice for us to uh, get away and do that. Um, this trip, uh, however, was a little different. I, some of you, I'm sure, have heard um, while we were on, we were going to set up the blinds. The, um, and on the way, heading out to set them out, my dad uh, slipped and twisted and broke his fibula, his, the small bone in his, in his lower leg. And so our, our day of setting up blinds turned into a trip into town and ER visit and uh, my dad being benched, <laughs> which for him is extremely hard. He's a go, go, go all the time. He wants to do things and him sitting still is, is very tough. Um, he managed to go out on opening day and sat all day. And at the end of the day, he said, well, I can't do that again. Because <laughs> the blind he was in was so small, he didn't have room to stretch or, or get out. But, but it was uh, one of those things that was, was interesting. Because before we got up there, on the way up, we were talking about um, how God gets our attention sometimes. And that it, sometimes it takes pretty drastic measures to get our attention because we get so busy. And... Uh, He's, he'd been, he keeps, over the last couple of years, he's been saying, I'm getting older. <laughs> I need to start slowing down and doing some things differently. And uh, for his job, he's been very busy trying to see all of his, his patients. So he's a chiropractor. And uh, now that he's had this happen, he's decided, all right, I'm going to slow down. I'm going to just do 10 hours a week and just start taking care of myself and do what I can. So it, so it, it turned out being a good time for him to reflect on some things. But um, as I was looking at the, the passage for uh, this morning, uh, Galatians 6, 1 through 10, I noticed some similarities that um, uh, Paul was a very motivated, driven guy. He um, definitely had a, 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 I can't think of the word for it, an agenda he was headed for. Um, now, I know it says, uh, the, the verse, Galatians 6, 1 through 10 is, is the, the, verse, the verses for this morning. We're going to get there. But first, I want to go back to Acts, to Acts 9, 1 through 18. Because I think understanding where Paul or Saul came from helps us understand more 
uh, what he's trying to tell us in Galatians 6. Acts 9, 1 through 18. Yep. Oh, no problem. Um, one of the things that I did in preparing for this morning was I listened to the last three sermons, <laughs> which um, was interesting with it being a series and following them back to back to back. You can see some connections and parallels and carry throughs. Um, the other thing is that I noticed that last week he asked you guys to uh, take some time and to think about um, five things that motivate or drive you in your life. Um, so I just wanted to reiterate the importance of remembering to do that at some point if you haven't already. Um, as we look at um, Saul here and what is motivating and driving him. The, the one problem here as we start this is that even though he was a driven and deeply convicted man on a mission, he was not imitating Christ in his life, not yet, even though he felt he was serving God. So we'll start with uh, verses 1 and 2. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for the letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So again, very, very driven. He had a goal in mind, and that's what he was headed for. However, he needed to check his alignment with, with, with Jesus and make corrections to the path he was on. Verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus. Whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand to Damascus. For three days he was blind, and not eat or drink anything. He knows firsthand that following the letter of the law, you can't be good enough. You can't earn it on your own. There is no freedom in the law. Verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest, arrest all who call on your name. So Ananias is a little worried given this guy's background and what he knows about him. But God does the convicting. We have to be ready to love and guide those that he has convicted to restore them, to bring them back. Verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Even with his background, God is generous and gives him the Holy Spirit. He doesn't hold back. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scale, scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. God starts to work on Saul. It starts internally, 
And it works its way out into his external actions and how he presents himself. Ananias and the disciples were afraid of him. They were hesitant because they knew his past. In um, Acts 9, well, still in Acts 9, if you jump down to verse 26, it says, When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Many of us prefer to see that somebody has changed first before we accept what they tell us. Um, The disciples would have preferred to have seen that he had changed before saying, oh, hey, sure, come on in. We'll, We'll open up the door and show you where we meet and introduce you to all our buddies. They were afraid that he was going to turn around and persecute them, that they would be in trouble. They wanted to know that he was good enough and that he believed. It's kind of like um, when you share a meal. Everybody expects people to wash their hands first and then eat. That's you know what you do, right? Well, in this scenario, people need to understand why they need to wash their hands first before they eat. God is like, it's not important whether you wash your hands or not. First, you need to believe in me. Believe that this is important. Not that the washing the hands. That will come in time. We try to get things from our perspective. It needs to be wash hands first, then eat. God says, no, you need to believe first. Then the washing the hands will follow. It seems backwards, but it shows God's abundant grace to us. And that we can believe and still mess up. There's times where we still fall short. But we have that freedom from the law, not to take advantage of it, but to learn and grow in our relationship with Christ. With the help of our brothers and sisters, we grow closer in community to each other and God. We are connected through the Holy Spirit, which binds all of us together and dwells within each of us. Um, made me think of the old uh, Blood Brothers thing. I haven't seen that in a long time. But this idea that we have a common bond. We share something. Um, a lot of TV shows, um, if you look at from with, with Hulu and Netflix now, you can watch shows from way back when. Uh, one show that I, I started watching is Cheers. I remember seeing that when I was a kid and liking it. Um, but there's Cheers. Uh, Friends was really popular in the 90s when I was a teenager. Uh, the Big Bang Theory. And even in the movie The Avengers, which has been so popular with all the Marvel heroes, a lot of these shows and movies are all built on the idea of community, on relationships, on helping other, um, a common goal that builds this bond, that encourages and strengthens the people in those scenarios to be the best that they can be, to go beyond. Um, I came across uh, an old uh, TED Talk that I had shared on my Facebook page that talked about this importance of of community. But it was from an unusual source. He was talking about this experiment that had been done on rats and addiction, where they would put a rat in a cage and put two water bottles in there. One had plain water, and the other one was, was water laced with heroin, I believe. And they said the rat would always go to the one with heroin, and that's what they would drink of and eventually would die. And so they they said that, their conclusion was that people, 
applying it to people is that if this was if we have an option between water and heroin, we're going to choose the heroin because that's what's going to make us feel better and what's going to make us feel good. And so for a long time, that was the understanding of addiction. As he kept going, he said, later on, another um, scientist decided to do a different study. Same two water bottles, another rat in there, but this time they added more rats. They added things to do. It was kind of, the way he described it was like a rat heaven. And they said that what they found was now that they had companions, they had things to do, that they would avoid the heroin-laced water. They would go to just the regular water bottle. And that because they had found that strength in community. And it gave them something to do. So I can't remember, I, I want to say it was like Scandinavia or something like that. Um, the government actually implemented this idea that if we give addicts something to do, community, encourage this, that they will stop doing the drugs and look for something else. And so they tried this, and apparently from the studies they did, it showed a drastic decrease in the amount of people that were turning to drugs because they had this support from the community and, and each other. With all of these different things that have happened in the community with, with, and with movies and how they build on relationships. And even in, in our own lives, a while in the past, I don't know when the changes have occurred, but the church used to be the center focal point of the community for a long time. That was where everybody met and did things. And it so, slowly changed over the years. Um, when I was a teen, going to the mall was the big thing. Let's all go to the mall. Now you go to the mall and there's, there's nobody there. Um, there's hardly any stores even there. Um, sporting events have always been popular places for people to interact and, and uh, share and fellowship. Coffee shops have, I, I think, are right now kind of been the popular thing and are still Starbucks is huge. Um, people can go there. They have something in common. They can talk. They don't have to talk. They just enjoy being there. Um, and it also shows with the... Uh, uh, Eagle Ridge has the coffee shop now at the mall um, that is striving to build that fellowship and encouraging and outreach. Um, even communities or towns, if you look at Midland, a lot of the things that Midland's been doing lately has been building places, especially downtown, that encourages people to gather, to um, come together, to connect, to create more of a community sense by having that. And these are all good things. The one problem, though, is that a lot of these things don't necessarily include God. It's just focused on man and bringing people together, which is extremely important. But if we leave God out of that equation, we're missing something really, really huge. In the beginning, it was man and God. Well, it was just God for a while, but then he decided to create man. And then he's like, hey, it's not good for man to be alone. And woman came along. And now we've got people all over the place. <laughs> and as much as at times my wife always tells me, she's like, it's like you, you like being by yourself. You like being alone. You probably should have, you know. And I'm like, you know what? I do like being alone. I, I am quite introverted. Um, I like my space. But at the same time, I like being around people. Don't tell her that, though. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, from the beginning, we were meant to have fellowship with God and others. And that shows up time and again in our lives and people that have been in situations where they haven't had that. They've been deprived of that. It affects how they interact with society and interact with others. Um, we really need to, to focus on that aspect in realizing that it's not just about me. It's about us. It's about everybody. Um, I don't know, it was probably a month or so ago. At different times, my mind takes these great, crazy excursions. I was walking um, in the hallway with my student and started to notice all the other students passing by that he was passing in the hall. And I had been so focused on what my student needed and where he was going that I hadn't really contemplated all the other students. And all of a sudden I started to think about how each one of those kids there represented somebody with dreams and hopes and things to do after school was over, that they had families, that they had parents that had jobs that were worried about this, that, and the other thing, and siblings and responsibilities and bills to pay. And as my mind started to branch off with each of these students thinking about how each one had this going on in their lives, my brain wanted to explode. <laughs> because when you think about all the needs of everyone around you, it becomes overwhelming. And I think how amazing it is that God can take all of that and it's not an issue for him. He doesn't feel like his brain's going to explode. <laughs> and he has all of our best interests in mind and how loving and gracious and caring he is for us. And how much we need to, even though we don't have the ability to, to have that kind of thought process, we at least need to take others into account. We can't just solely focus on ourselves. And so when Paul starts in, in Galatians 6, 1 through 10, to get back, back to, to where we're, we were, our goal was, um, with his, his experience with Christ and his focus on others and God's love, I think it helps us to see the whole picture a little bit better in Galatians 6. Oh, so in Galatians 6, 1 through 10, it says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions, then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Um, when it talks about the word restore really stuck out to me here, and that's really what kind of guided me back to Paul's, Saul's conversion. Um, 
the the Greek word there I discovered is I'm gonna is kadartizo. Uh, That's what I'm gonna go with anyway. Kadartizo, <laughs> and the idea is that this type of restore in the common Greek it is a reference to resetting broken broken bones, and in the New Testament for mending fishing nets. To restore something is to make it whole and functional again. Um, another um, translation that I found, or another meaning that falls in that that I found is to make one what he ought to be. And I thought that's a great understanding of the word restore. Um, there's lots of examples of restoring old cars, restoring things to the way they were, the finish, however they look. But making one what he ought to be. And really, I would change that to making one what God wants him to be. Because we have lots of ideas for those around us. For our kids, we have dreams, expectations of where they should go, what they should do. But ultimately, it's what God wants us to be, what we ought to be, that we want for our um, for each other and for our kids. Paul experienced this because he thought he was on track for where he wanted to go. He thought he was doing God's will, and God's like, whoa, wait a minute. And he needed the help of Ananias, the disciples, to help continue to guide him and, and to bring him on board and say, hey, this, this is good. This will work. Talks about carrying each other's burdens and fulfilling the law of Christ. But interestingly, it also talks about each person carrying their own load. And, and Paul talks about this idea of, of um, yes, there, there's burdens there that he had, and we should share them, but each person is still responsible for their own. It's this idea of equality. We're not just supposed to take somebody's burdens away from them and say, all right, I've got this. You don't have to do anything. We're still responsible for ourselves, but we don't have to do it alone. There are others around us in the community that can help us. He talks about not comparing themselves to someone else or, or boasting, taking pride in themselves alone. And that by doing our own work, we are showing our responsibility, our, that we're doing what we need to do. We're doing our part, but not on our own with God and with those around us. He talks about being aware of where we are and who we are. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. He was so focused on where he was headed that he didn't stop to look at what he was persecuting. He was just bent on, on that direction. We can get so caught up sometimes that we feel like we're doing the right thing that we don't stop and think, wait a minute. What am I doing? Why am I doing it? What are my motivations for this? What's driving me to live this life the way that I am? And he talks about the Holy Spirit. That if we try to please the Holy Spirit, we'll reap eternal life. He was definitely focused, but from his perspective, it was that, that man-made focus on the law that they've got to live according to this law. This is the way it has to be, instead of being focused on the Spirit. 
And he, he ends in verse 10 here by saying, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. If we are going to help and support each other, we also have to realize that sometimes it can be difficult. In, in the Galatians, um, he starts off very harsh, very, you know, you, what are you guys doing? <laughs> Blunt. Um, you know, why are you doing this? This isn't right. Have you walked away from what we've taught you? Don't listen to anybody else. Even if we tell you something different, don't listen to us. Because what we told you was the way it needs to be. And then as he comes around, he draws the letter to the Galatians to an end. He encourages them to support each other, to restore one another, bring them back to where God wants them to be. To lift one another up and love each other. To not get focused and bogged down by people that aren't washing washing their hands first before they eat. Focus on what they need to believe first so that then they can be brought and the actions will follow. There is a, a video on Facebook, I don't know um, if you guys have seen it, but it's about this old guy, old grandpa, at, at Thanksgiving time, I, I believe is the, the image, or Christmas, because there's a Christmas tree in there. And it shows him looking out the win- window, seeing his, an older gentleman a, a, across the road and his kids arriving and to share the holidays with them. And there's a message on the machine, sorry, Grandpa, we're not going to be able to make it this year. Um, you know, things have come up, we're busy. And as it shows a couple different meals of him just sitting there by himself, kind of sad and forlorn and wanting to be with his kids and his grandchildren. Then it switches to the kids each receiving a phone call or a letter or something. And do you see their face just kind of drop? And they show up at his front gate at his house. And they're all dressed kind of in black, all looking very somber. And the impression is that they've got word that he's died. So as they go inside and they open the door, they look in and they see that the dining room table has all been set. There's candles lit, the Christmas trees lit up. It's all very festive for the holidays. And they kind of look at each other like, what's going on? And then their dad steps around from a corner and looks up at them. And they're all like, what? And he says, well, how else am I going to get you all together at the same time? Hmm? (laughs) I thought, oh, my word. I almost played it, but when I watched it, I was like, that's a bit much. (laughs) Um, But it was just that stark reality of even when we're busy and we get caught up in what's going on in our day-to-day lives, we need to step back and take a moment and focus on Christ focus on our lives and what we're doing and why we're doing it. We have such a blessing in the community we have. Um, Tara talked about the Sunday school class that's down there. I walked through this morning to get my coffee, and they're just laughing and and talking and sharing, and Jim's telling a story. I walked through there and I was like, I was like, man, I really need to go back over my notes again, but I really want to be in here. (laughs) And that sense of community is amazing. And that's what we want church to be. What our lives should be about is connecting with other people, imitating Christ, and living a life that's honoring to Him, that pulls other people to Him. Um, So if we want to go ahead and 
play this closing song there. The um, as as they're coming up, I, I wanted to read the the uh, the first three. I think it's the first three verses. It, it's from the message, um, but I thought it puts it in a in a really good way. Um, so Galatians 6, 1 through 3 says, Live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him. Saving your critical comments for yourself, you might be needing forgiveness before the day's out. <laughs> Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed, share their burdens, and so complete Christ's law. If you think you are too good for that, you are badly re- deceived.